Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we've got a couple of very interesting interviews today. One is with Mike Doma, who will be with us in a moment, uh, talking from Travelers Insurance, a 160-year-old company that insures businesses and manufacturing, having to do with 3D printing and some of the risks that you might not realize are involved in that particular manufacturing choice. But you should listen to that interview and followed up with Mike Scher, who is from Frontline Selling. Mike is a seasoned salesperson who helps explain to manufacturers who are selling B2B how their salespeople can increase their appointment rate. Very important thing to know, and it gives some very interesting examples of it. So stay tuned for Mike's share on the show. And before we get to our uh, guest, I'd like to talk with Lou Weiss, who uh, is facing down a snowstorm. Lou, how's the blizzard? Hey, uh, Blizz, uh, I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt today, and everyone's looking at me like I'm nuts. But we have uh, so far uh, maybe 15, 16 inches uh, of snow, and uh, it's going to looks like it's going to continue going for a while. They're predicting uh, as much as 30, 36 inches. So, um, so be it. You know, we'll we'll just deal with it as we can. But we're here. We're here. Uh, and of course, in Atlanta, you have no snow, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll, but, you'll, you'll be able to broadcast all day, Lou. You got yeah, I to go? could. Yeah, we could. I have nowhere to go. So let me start off with our uh, postscript of last week's uh, show. We had uh, Brad Holcomb, committee chair of the Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Report on business. Uh, uh, for last month in manufacturing. And we also had Tony uh, Nieves, who is the committee chair of the non-manufacturing report on business, which actually has a lot to do with manufacturing. Uh, We also have um, Chris Keel, noted economist from uh, Amada Corporate Intelligence. And he's also the uh, chief economist for the FMA, Fabricators and Manufacturing Association International, and they all are giving glowing, glowing reports. I mean, it's really amazing. And uh, it seems as though that the uh, numbers that they've come out with have now been going on for about three, four months, um, and it looks like we're off to a really heady start for uh, 2017. Uh, there's actually a lot of talk going on about the quote unquote the bump trump uh, the tr- sorry trump bump and how he's getting all the credit for all this new stuff that's going on and the economy picking up and frankly I don't think that's really the case the point is that we're into an economic cycle and uh, Institute of Supply Management has pointed that out that we are. Uh, in a cycle that is generating uh, good positive numbers and good positive information going forward, and may even go forward for the next year or two. So I'm not sure if the bump 
Trump or Trump bump, whichever one you want to call it, uh, it has anything to do with it. But it'll take all the credit, I'm sure. So that, that's okay. Uh, that being said, I, I think you ought to really listen to these shows because this is very important going forward for this coming year. The 2017, the first month and second month of the year, has really uh, generated some interesting numbers. And uh, they go, the, the, our, our guest did talk about that in great, great detail. So uh, we're, I think that you should really listen to all that information. As far as news is concerned, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Friday, three, three, four days ago, they came out with a job report. And the job report shows a 236,000 gain in jobs, of which 28,000 was manufacturing. And uh, that, that's a very good, strong numbers that uh, we're looking at. And uh, it seems as though that uh, that's going to be the mode going forward for the first quarter of this year. So, you know, we're pretty excited. And, you know, All Metals and Forge Group, which is my primary um, business and my primary means of income, uh, actually has uh, – uh, demonstrated that uh, we're also in that same uh, venue that uh, business has picked up, our backlog has picked up, and uh, so we're we're really excited about what's going on. Um, and uh, as far as uh, the numbers are concerned, it's it's really terrific. As far as some some of the news items, um, let me just get to my my notes here. Um, it's, it seems as though that uh, Baker Hughes has reported that uh, uh, oil rigs over the last eight weeks is now up to uh, 617 rigs that are pumping, and it's up uh, uh, 10 to 15 new uh, old rigs that started pumping all over again. So that's really good, even though oil prices and gas prices are pump have dropped so uh, that's a good thing at the same time that they we we do need more oil we need more um, uh, uh, petroleum for the products that are being used in manufacturing um, unfortunately the oil prices have dropped below fifty dollars um, I think that the the sweet spot is sixty dollars so we got a little ways to go to get there, but nonetheless, uh, it seems as though that's uh, it's, it's all a positive uh, positive spin that we're into. Uh, Intel is uh, buying an organization called Mobile High uh, in a deal worth about fifteen billion dollars, and uh, so fifteen point three actually. It's a U.S. Uh, Chipmaker will be paying $63 per share in uh, cash for a Jerusalem-based company, Mobileye, according to a statement that came out uh, Monday. And uh, that uh, seems as though that they're buying a lot of positive uh, technology, which is all going to help manufacturing. So 
there's a lot of positive things happening, and uh, we're very hopeful that uh, 2017, and uh, we're talking to a lot of economist types who are saying that this uh, event is going to go from 2017 into 2018, and um, so we're, we're really excited. And uh, all metals and forges excited, and uh, uh, we're, we're looking forward to the next two years. Uh, Tim, and now let's get to our guests. We're here with Mike Doma, who is with Travelers Insurance, a company that was founded in 1864 by James Batterson, happened to be a stone cutter, and it sold the first accident insurance in that year. And in 1865, it began selling life insurance, the first company in the country to sell more than one line of insurance. Mike is the chief underwriting officer for technology with Travelers Insurance, an old and respected name. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate having you here, and I know that you're going to speak with our audience about 3D printing. And what is Traveler's view of 3D printing and the market opportunity there, Mike? Well, I mean, you know, 3D printing is a, is a pretty amazing technology in my view, and it's really, um, you know, has the ability to revolutionize manufacturing as we know it in the United States, and I think that that is, is pretty exciting. According to McKinsey and Company, they predict that by 2025 that it'll represent an annual impact of $550 billion. That's amazing because it yeah, wasn't, more, wasn't more than two years ago where it was, uh, you know, a, a, a much smaller number, like a billion. And you, you're, t- you're talking about a 5,000% increase in 10 years. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So, so what is what's Traveler's interest in 3D printing, Mike? Sure. So, you know, as you sort of referenced, Travelers is a is an insurance company that's been around for a long time. Um, we are a significant insurer of all types of manufacturing, and 3D printing you know falls into that uh, to that area. Uh, we look at it from both the standpoint of insuring people who make 3D printers as well as companies that are using 3D printing in their manufacturing operations. So what are you, what are you insuring? So uh, we the, the people, the machines, the technology, the companies. I mean, what 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 is Traveler's uh, angle in this? Sure. So all of the above. Um, <laughs> Easy so, answer. <laughs> yeah. So no, we're we're a property casualty insurer, and so as such, we insure all of the different types of insurance that uh, that a manufacturing company would buy to protect their business, and that can range from property insurance that covers their physical assets, and the you know from uh, you know from uh, risk of loss. It insures their workers uh, through our workers' compensation coverage. It insures their their liability exposures that can arise either from issues that you know arise from you know people coming onto their premises or as a consequence of their products, and then we also insure things like their you know your automobile ex- exposure. So, Mike, what are the key drivers behind the rise in 3D printing? So, there are there are a number of them. I think you know first and foremost, what I would point you to is just the you know how how revolutionary it is in terms of transforming production costs. And when you think about, you know, in the, in the old school of manufacturing, if you wanted to produce a product after you had finished the design, you'd have to go to a tool and die maker and you'd have to produce all of the tool and die. 
then you would have to scale up the line. You'd have to run production down it to get it efficient. And, and then you would end up having to run enough product down that line in order to make it cost effective. And the beauty of 3D printing is, is that it allows you to uh, produce very small scale product. I mean, in terms of the, the amount of product you have to run through, you don't have the issue of having to produce the tool and dies. You can just program it into the computer and it will build the product itself from one unit you know, to multiple units. We've been talking a lot to 3D uh, printing manufacturing companies uh, all over the United States, those who actually make the machines and those who are actually using the machines to make product. Um, I have not heard from any of them about their any liability issues. So what kind of liability issues does travelers run across uh, or anticipate running across with regards to the use of 3D printing. So sure. So there's there, we we view it in a number of different areas, and it is you can differentiate it both between the kinds of exposures that people who make 3D printers, and then also the people that are using 3D printers. And so when you think about it from the standpoint of people who are making 3D printers, one of the things that is really important is that they, um, you know that that where they're selling that product into that they're making sure that they're providing the information to their customers to make sure that it is fit for that particular purpose so that it will be able to manufacture the product that they intend to manufacture uh, in a way that it'll be, um, you know, it'll be uh, safe. And, you know, and so that requires that they do things like ensure that they are, you know, t testing it, uh, testing the product that comes off of it, testing it, you know, to make sure that it is uh, reliable and um, and also that they're providing adequate warnings to the purchasers of their equipment so that they're aware of some of the issues that could arise you know from the use of their product uh, how how big of a uh segment uh has 3D printing become for travelers in terms of insurance coverage and so on yeah, or liability for that matter yeah, it's a it's a growing area for us. I don't have the numbers for you right off the top of my head in terms of how much premium it represents, but it is it is a growing area. And and part of it is it's difficult to quantify because you know, we don't you know in terms of the manufacturers that we write, we know that they use 3D printing in their operations, but we don't specifically identify them differently than other manufacturers. Uh huh. So it's just it's just uh, for all intents and purposes a a number a. a different segment of manufacturing and not necessarily um, uh, highlighted because it is 3D printing. Right. Mike, I know okay. that there are a number of ways that manufacturers can limit their exposure when they're using 3D printing. What kind of ways and what kind of exposure, Mike? Sure. So, you know, things that we suggest that they do in terms of – I mean, starting with minimizing the exposure for bodily injury or property damage that could arise out of their products. Um, one of the things that you know I was alluding to a moment ago is the conducting a robust hazard analysis, so that uh, you're making sure that you that you've identified what the issues are um, arising out of different points in the 3D printing development and commercialization of the product. You should also conduct routine design reviews so that you're making sure that the uh, you're continuing to advance the product um, you should conduct extensive testing uh, you need to evaluate um, 
you know, the, the key standards that might apply depending on the products that are being manufactured using the device. Uh, you have to have clear safety and use instructions. You need to uh, make sure that the, that the chemical makeup of the feedstock that you're using is appropriate and has pro uh, proper controls. And then, uh, and then also make sure that if you're a user of 3D printing that you're implementing effective preventative maintenance so that the product is always up to standards. You know, we've, uh, you bring up some interesting points, Mike. We have had uh, Bob Dorigo Jones on the show talking about wacky warning labels that manufacturers never dreamed that they would have to put on a product. It sounds like you're talking to a number of newbies in the 3D printing world where they have to, they've got a long learning curve for a product that can be put out in pretty short order. Is that about right? Well, I mean, if you think about 3D printing and the capabilities that it has, it really democratizes the manufacturing world, right? Because you don't have to have a big manufacturing facility and a huge supply chain in order to, you know, to be, enter into the manufacturing world. So somebody with a few thousand dollars that can purchase a, uh, a 3D printer and also then purchase the CAD designs online can, you know, can go into production right away. And, and so it really represents a, a, a sort of new style of manufacturing, if you will. Yes, and that's going to be interesting for you folks to educate those newbies on both old and new risks. Um, what kind of work does Travelers do to help out um, potential you know, prospect companies or clients? So we are a uh, you know a dedicated organization within our company that works with our customers to help them identify their risks, whether they be related directly to their their product liability or to any of their other uh, exposures that we insure, be it property or workers' compensation. And we work with them to identify what their exposures are, and then to recommend changes to their operations that will help improve their risk and minimize their exposure to loss. Is any of this, Mike, in a uh uh, what some people call a primer, what I call a primer, uh, a short booklet on you know how not to lose your shirt in 3D printing. Yeah, we have a very robust website that uh, um, potential customers can go to and see previews of this information, so that they can see what you know some of the services are that we uh, that we would provide to them if if they were to insure with us. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share that information with our listeners? Sure, they can go to. Travelers.com, and if you look at the website, you'll see an opportunity to see risk control services. And if you click on that, it will bring up uh, you know all of the different uh, capabilities that I've just described. Do when you're dealing with a, uh, a potential client, are are they at, at all aware of the insurance potential liabilities, or are they because this is so new? are totally newbies in terms of what potential liabilities they may have. So it, it runs the gamut in terms of the sophistication of the potential client. We have a, a number of clients that are in the manufacturing space that are very large and sophisticated organizations. And, and we also have companies that are fairly new into, the, you know, into this uh, manufacturing world that uh, benefit tremendously from some of the insights that we can provide them. Interesting. You know, and I'm looking at the numbers. Uh, you know, 2025 is not that far away. As I'm beginning to find out, as I'm beginning to age, the years seem to go by at a very <laughs> rapid pace. Um, you know, $550 billion in the next uh, eight years. 
know, what does 10 years and, and 15 years look like? Is this uh, is it going to catapult to the same degree that is being projected now, going from 17 to 550 billion in just a very short period of time? So, I mean, when we looked at, you know, and some of this is a little bit dated information, but in 2014, uh, A.T. Kearney estimated that it was a $4.5 billion global market and growing to $17.2 billion by 2020. Right. So it is, I mean, based on those estimates, you know, it is a, it's a fairly rapidly growing sector of the uh, the manufacturing economy. Absolutely. Mike, what is, what is Travelers look? At as a insurance organization, in terms of potential risk lying out there, and one of the things I'm alluding to is the feedstock that's going into these printers. Uh, obviously, workers are working with a plastic, which can have uh, issues associated with it, or metal. Um, what, are the, what kind of risk is travelers looking at to say that they're a potential client, you know, this is what you've got to insure yourself against. Sure. So, you know, when we look at it, you know, we're very interested in the quality control processes that the, you know, that the customers engage in to ensure that they're checking the, you know, the raw materials as they come in. From the standpoint of, you know, the chemical feedstocks, you know, we would expect that they're, you know, um, under, they're, they're testing all of the product that comes in the door and in particular, that they're testing chemical components purchased overseas, um, so that they are because those oftentimes are not held to the same stringent quality control that uh, that we might have in the United States, and uh, and so you need to test it for the proper chemical composition before you, you know, employ it into your product. So, if any of our listeners uh, would like to get more direct information, do you have an individual that they could be? Uh, uh, directly contacting that could get some very specific information. So, you know, as a as an insurance company, Travelers is works through an independent independent agency force, and so mm-hmm. my recommendation would be that they contact their their local independent insurance agent, ask them if they represent Travelers, and then through that agency, they can get access to you know all of the coverages and services that we provide. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Tim. Well, this is uh, fascinating information. My dad was an independent insurance agent for 41 years, so I have a great appreciation for the help an independent agent can offer a company because they're kind of the boots on the ground and the vast uh, array of knowledge that the corporate folks can provide the independent agent on what to look at and where to look. So, Mike, we appreciate you being on the show and sharing with our listeners both what Travelers does and uh, how they can get some answers and I would, we would certainly encourage those people who go, ooh, I've got 5000 bucks in my pocket. I'm going into 3D printing to look a little further and get a hold of an insurance agent and talk to travelers. Well, we sure appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. We've been speaking with Mike Gullah, who is the Chief Underwriting Officer for Technology for Travelers Insurance, as we said at the top of the segment, an old and trusted name that has been around for uh, well over 150 years. Please get a hold of your uh, local independent insurance agent who represents travelers and find out what you can find out about 3D printing, and thanks for listening. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. 
EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are speaking with Mike Scher, who is the co-founder and CEO of Frontline Selling. Mike has a very interesting background. He spent a number of years selling software, which is uh, kind of challenging to sell, and maintained a President's Club status with the company that he was with for many years. He's now taken that to teach other salespeople and other sales organizations how to shorten the cold call process and increase the number of first appointments between two and four hundred percent, something everybody wants to achieve. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. And a second so, welcome from Blue. So where do you want to start? Because everybody's going to want to start, Mike, with okay, how do I increase my uh, my first appointments by two to four hundred percent? Well, you know that it, it's kind of interesting, and it kind of goes a little bit to my. You know, you, you touched a little bit of my, um, my background. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I spent 18 years selling enterprise software, nine years with J.D. Edwards in the ERP space, uh, and, um, you know, selling to manufacturers and uh, manufacturing systems, MRP, et cetera. And so, um, uh, you know, when you're selling those kinds of systems, particularly prior to the year 2000, you know, I can count on one one hand the days that you, you know that I had to sit, you know, actually go ahead and prospect. But it, when I left JD Edwards, and I went to some other um, other types of software companies that maybe that had some of the challenges, right, where the brand identification wasn't there, right? People didn't know who, you know, who my company was. They didn't wake up in the morning saying they need to buy one of these today. Yet they still had the you know the business challenges that my solution addressed on a day to day basis. And what, what most salespeople, what we found, uh, Lou and Tim, was that most salespeople, what they, they, they actually believe 
that every time they speak, whether it's leaving a voicemail or sending an email, that their words get comprehended. And, and the fact that, you know, and, and, and people actually listen to them, but, but you, that really <laughs> isn't the case, right? And so, right. They, so they think if they send one email or they send two or three emails or whatever, and somebody doesn't respond, they're not interested. Well, you know, that's, you know, think about it. We all get hundreds of emails every single day. The people that you want to prospect to get, you know, particularly if they're executives at larger organizations, they get way, you know, they get, you know, a lot of emails, a lot of voicemails, a lot, a lot of things competing for their time. And so what salespeople uh, fail to understand is that it's not so much they blame it on the message, but it's not really the message. It's the, rep, it's the lack of repetition. Simply calling somebody or emailing somebody or communicating one or two or three times uh, is simply not enough to get somebody's attention. And nothing, and, and, and there's lots of examples as to, you know, in other walks of life as to where that's true. For example, in the B2C marketing space, you know, McDonald's doesn't advertise to you and say, I'm loving it two or three times. And if you don't buy a Big Mac, they stop. They continue on and on. And it's sort of that repetition that kind of helps you. It's, it's as much the repetition of the request um, that raises you, you, you above that noise level to help begin to get your attention. So in this, in this market, uh, Mike, uh, and I've been in manufacturing over you know, 50 years, and uh, I've always done the marketing for my companies, and I always tried to do something uh, out of the norm different uh, than most of my competitors. Um, the question I have for you is uh, you have a company – who's a manufacturer, he's uh, you know, a small machine shop, he may have 30, 40 people, and he got it from his father, and his, uh, so, by the way, some of my questions get like this, you know, there's a story behind it. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 he got it from his father, his grandfather, and so he's been running that place just like they have. The business has gone down because com- competition has uh, really picked up. So here, he finds your name. What's the next step? How does he go about, or how do you go about convincing him that there's a new and better way? And you know, so, for the sake of our audience, uh, I'd like to hear hear your uh, detailed uh, information on that. Sure. Yeah. So, so first of all, most salespeople are under the false impression that um, you know that it's you know that that they. You know, it's all about the unique capability of their organization or whatever their capability, right? They, you know, in, right. in the example, Lou, that you just gave, you know, we've been in business for 100 years. My grandfather started the business, blah, 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 you know, but it, you know, and, and, and we're a machine shop, right? So that's the only sort of differentiator that, you know, it's a three-generation business, right? Right. But what right. happens is, is, that is, is, is that there is – you know, why does someone who's maybe using machine shop A want to then go and make a switch and use machine shop B, right? There are mm-hmm. challenges, right? And there's a reason why this company's been in business for 100 years, right? They do certain things. They have maybe a proprietary process uh, or a customer service process or something that, that solves a problem that their prospects or, or, you know, even current customers or future prospects have whether they consciously have it or you know have it or not they, you know and every business every business has challenges right and and they deal with these challenges 
each and every day. And they sometimes they just sort of spaghetti it together to just try to, you know, do it on an Excel spreadsheet or the back of a brown paper bag or whatever, whatever it is, right? And, and so salespeople, in order to have to come up with that, whatever that message is, the topic of conversation, why would you want to talk to this, this machine shop that's been around for 100 years, right? It's, right? it's not because they've been around for 100 years. It's because they solve a problem, right? You want to, you want to have them have a conversation about that particular topic. Now, that's one piece of the equation. The second piece of the equation, right, is, and, and perhaps the, the, the bigger challenge is, how do I find the right person within, within that account who, who, you know, I can engage with, right? You know, while, you know, typically it might be, you know, the, the VP of product or VP of whatever is typically the person you engage with, right? There's nobody with the title vice president in charge of buying from a 100-year-old machine shop today, right? There, that title doesn't exist, right? And so, you know, we look at this and say, you know, how do you find that person? And, and that's another mistake a lot of salespeople make. They just single thread into an account. They call the account or they reach out to the account and they have this one contact and that's the person they bombard. What they need to do and what we found by, by doing this for 14 years and studying over 1.8 million outreach efforts we found out a couple of interesting things. One of the most interesting things we found out, which is what most people inherently know to be true, is that every organization that, you're, you know, that, that this machine shop would want to prospect into, they have their own formal and informal ways they communicate. They have their own three-letter acronyms. They have their own formal and informal social structures. That is known as the social DNA of the organization. And what... what even though it seems counterintuitive, is if you take that message we talked about and you communicate it repeatedly, but to multiple people within the organization, the CEO, the CFO, even though the CFO may not be your buyer, the, 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 the chief product officer, right? What happens is, is that if you do it in a consistent way and you follow up in the right frequency and interval and you keep that message consistent and it's around that business value that the 100-year-old machine shop offers, uh, then what happens is naturally we're, so, we're all social creatures. It's why Facebook and LinkedIn and all that do really well, is naturally within the four walls of the organization you're prospecting into, your message will begin to socialize because the CEO might look at that message and delete it and ignore it, which will happen a lot of times, but he might just look at it and say, hey, Bob, Check this out. You remember you were talking about delivery issues and timing issues and, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, quality issues. I, I don't know if these guys are any good, but they're here for, you know, but they solve, they, you know, they tend to solve these problems. Why don't you just check out their website or whatever it is, right? And, and then what miraculously happens is if you're going to drive two or 400% increases in outcomes, you can only, you know, as a salesperson, you only have, you know, 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. But if you can enable the, the organization you're prospecting into to perpetuate your message, then that's where you really create some leverage. So hopefully, you know, that, that, that was an equally long-winded answer to your <laughs> long-winded question. Well, 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 I have a follow-up to that. And the follow-up to that is uh, assuming that you uh, are reaching into the company and you, you're going after the CEO, the CFO, the sales person, the um, uh, purchasing agent. Uh, with various messages, are you giving them all different messages? 
to fit their uh, position in the company? So, or, it, it, interesting. That's a great question. Um, and um, you, you know, if, if, if you think about it, right? And I'll use I'll go back and use the B two C example because you know you know a lot of people say, well, hey, we don't sell to consumers, right? But there you got to you know because that's different, right? But let's look at the commonality of B two C and B two B, right? The, con- the that's common is both both. Uh, business models sell to individuals, sell to human beings, and human right. beings behave largely the same, right? And they react largely the same. They have egos, they have, you know, they, you know all those sorts of things, right? And, mm-hmm. and think about think about Nike, think about McDonald's, right? They every time they communicate their message through multiple, uh, you know, media outlets, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, and in their case, it's you know, television ads and radio ads and billboards and newspapers and magazines. And at the end of each ad, or at the bottom of each ad, in the case of McDonald's, we all know what it says. You know, I'm loving it. At the end of, you know, the Nike ad, it says, just do it. Nike doesn't say, have one message, just do it, do it harder, try to do it, do it better, right? It's always just do it. The repetition of the message, okay, creates familiarity. What we have found by studying this is when you start when you start deviating the message, right? It can't get it, it to, from one person to the other to the other, right? Then what happens is it 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 it, it begins to dilute your message, not reinforce it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. keeping the message consistent and think about why you want to do it. The purpose of when you're prospecting. You have, you have lots of problems, right? But there's only two problems that matter when you're prospecting. How do I find the right person who cares about what it is I'm selling? And once I find out it's Wu, how do I get them to want to spend time with me? So the, the, message, the message is, and going back to this concept of social DNA, if, you, if you're going to socialize a message and everybody's going to talk about you know, on-time delivery, on-time performance, or blah, 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 or, or quality of, of delivery on, and, 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 you know, reduction of defects or whatever it is that 100-year-old machine shop's doing, right? Um, if that's what the message is, you don't want to de- deviate from it because then they, you know, again, it goes back to these people who are consuming the message are busy, and if they keep hearing slightly a different message, you know, they don't know whether you're selling hot do- uh, hamburgers or hot dogs or chicken fingers, right? You want, you know, it, it to be the same sort of thing. You want to reinforce it to get their attention. So, you know, right. long-winded so, answer again to to <laughs> use the same message. Well, well, being that we only have limited time on our, the segment today, I do have a question to ask you for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, I'm, I'm a machine shop, and, uh, gee, this Mike Shear um, share, sorry. Uh, he really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. I want to get in touch with him. So, and I will ask you for your URL or email address or what have you. But I want to I want to talk to Mike, and Mike is going to tell me how to go about uh, doing this and getting better reception to uh, potential clients and so on. So, what is my main question is. What's the first step when you walk into All Metals and Forge Group when I'm looking to improve sales, contacts, and so on? 
Okay, so you're looking to improve sales content. What is your question, Lou? What is the advice to give to you to improve sales and contact and engagement my, with your my, your target audience? My question, my question is, what do you do when you walk into a potential client, and what do you what and how are you selling him, and what's the steps for you to better understand the company and then start making recommendations? and uh, perhaps implementation of new projects and programs. Sure, sure. So um, so the first thing we want to do, obviously, is, is you know, I, I, I talk about, um, you know, uh, create, uh, uh, creating the five genuine understandings, right, and, um, and, and uncovering the five genuine understandings. What's the business problem we're trying to solve? Who cares about that problem within, within the organization? What is the impact to not solving that problem? What is their next best alternative if they don't solve it with me? And then lastly, if they choose to solve it with me, where does the money come from? And when we talk about the genuine understandings, it's, re- it's not just me trying to understand that from you, Lou, an example, right? But a lot of times you're busy running your business, right? You're busy serving your customers. You're busy doing your operational excellence and all the stuff you do. And a lot of times you as the, you know, as the prospect, you don't even understand the answers to those questions. As a salesperson, my job is not only to understand it, but more importantly is to help you understand, you know, what's the, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve. Cause you might think you have, you might think you have a messaging problem, Right. You might think you have a, uh, a, a, a sales resource problem. Maybe you, know, you might think your guys are lazy, right? Your sales guys are lazy, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe they just don't know what to do, right? So helping you understand, you know, and, 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 the, way, and the way we would, we would engage is really helping to uncover those five genuine understandings and, and work with our clients to help them understand it. And then, and then naturally when you start crafting a solution, you know, it, it, you know, uh, whether it's us or, you know, if we can't help them, you know, we'll try to point them in the right direction, whether uh, either way. So when you go into a company and you present your uh, methodology and you're discovering the five uh, issues, five questions that need to be answered or responded to, do you find that you get uh, any pushback from either your contact, whether it's a CEO or a vice president, or do you get pushback from sales department saying, well, this is the way we always used to do it. This is great. You know, what do we, what do we need a consultant coming in here telling us how to run our business? I'm sure you've heard all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. 100% of the time, but there's a reason why we're having this conversation, right? We're having a conversation, Mr. Prospect is because, you know, it is so, and again, it goes, they obviously, if they if that's the reaction, right? Then either a they don't have a problem. Then why are they wasting their time meeting with me, right? right. Um, uh, or b they have a problem. They just don't quite understand why their problem exists the way it exists. It, it exists. Um, so I need to understand. Say, so, okay, so you have. So it's all around question. And and here here's my philosophy, Lou. Is nobody ever argues with their own conclusions. Right. <laughs> and so if I try to convince you and try to force my point of view on you, you might push back. 
I'm trying to get you to come to your own conclusion. So I would say, so Lou, okay, you've done it this way, okay, but you also have shared with me is that one of your frustrations is you're trying to grow your business 20% or 10% year over year, and for the last three years, you've been flat, okay? Why do you think that is? So now you're forced to think about, okay, you know, you know, now we're getting into sort of the, de- you know, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> expecting a different outcome. And so it will naturally lead to that. And, and then, well, and then, and we will say, well, my salespeople, I, you know, I don't know, my, you know, my salespeople, you know, they, you know, they're, uh, they're lazy or my salespeople aren't this or what I said, well, well, help me understand this. Right. So your salespeople are able to do $100,000 deals, million-dollar deals, all this kind of stuff. They're, they're obviously very competent. Um, let me ask you this. If, uh, I'll just ask you a question. You have 10 salespeople, Lou. If I, asked, if I went to your salespeople and said, okay, you want to get into XYZ account, okay? And I asked them, I said, what research would you do on the account? And you have six salespeople. How many different answers am I going to get? Well, you're likely to say, well, six. Okay. Okay. So by definition, Lou, at least five of them have to be wrong. So now I'm helping you understand saying, well, now, now you're forced to start thinking, well, maybe, okay, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. Right. That's, he can't argue with that. Right. Right. Um, so maybe they're not all doing it right. Maybe all six of them are wrong. Right. Okay. And then, and then, and then I said, well, let's say you, here's the research. Who do you contact first? I'm going to get six different answers. Okay. Again. So now my, my, my deviation is six times six. Well, let's say who's the person we're going to contact. Do I call them, email them? What do I say in those calls, emails, voicemails? When do I follow up? How many times do I follow up? All those sorts of things. I get six times six times six times six times six. And then pretty soon you start to understand and say, okay, well, maybe we don't, maybe we aren't doing this sort of systematically. Maybe that's the reason why we need to have more of a common platform and we need to actually know what the right things, right answers are to all those questions. And that begins to open up the dialogue, right? But you got to create that receptivity amongst the prospect. So when you walk in, and I'm going to try to keep my question short. When you walk in and take a look at an operation, is part of your uh, methodology to uniform, make uniform the methods that, let's say, sales people operate, where everybody is doing the same thing the same way? Or uh, if, if there's one particular salesman uh, who's really doing well and the other five aren't, uh, that you formulate a, a methodology around the, the one winner and get everybody on the same platform? It's a combination of two things, right? It's a, it, we we want to we u- get uniform on the fundamentals, no different than a golf swing, right? We want everybody to, you know, get get, um, you know, good, proper form, okay? But then everybody, every golfer, just like every golfer has different talents. Some are taller, some are shorter, right? Some can just naturally hit the ball further, right? But they all have to have the same setup, the same fundamentals, all that sort of thing. And we work on the fundamentals, and then we allow the, the natural abilities to work within inside those fundamentals. But it is what we found is that, it, again, salespeople we, we, we see are, are all actually very, very competent. What they lack, they all have talent. They wouldn't be successful. What they all lack is a good, solid foundation and fundamentals, and that's what creates the poor or, 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 or you know, inconsistent outcomes. Got it. 
got it. Okay. So, so Mike, the, the question always arises, at least I always read, where you know, so many salesmen keep, uh, give up after the first contact. They give up after the second, et cetera. But 80% of the sales are made after the fifth contact. In your experience, does that analysis hold up? I'm sure you've read that as well. 1,000%. Um, I'm, and again, in our, you know, when you're talking about sales, Tim, you're talking about doing lots of things, right? Not only prospecting and getting an appointment and doing a presentation and proposal and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen, right? But I'm just talking about getting that first meaningful conversation, right? Because nothing happens until you get there. Even just to get the first conversation, what we found by studying this is that the highest um, uh, uh, percentage of, of, you know, response when you do all the things correctly is the third and fourth contact. Yet 90% of all salespeople only make one prospecting call to a prospect. 97% don't make three. Our advice is don't be one of those 97%. Just by just making the third or fourth round of, of outreach to somebody. Lou and I were just talking about uh, you know, some of the resistances you get with your salespeople are, you know, they want to do it their way, um, which is not necessarily the way that works. Uh, do you experience that when you go into a company and you want to train them in frontline selling and You've got all of these salespeople who are all doing it different or their way, and you've got to somehow overcome that? Absolutely. Particularly, you know, the more veteran the salesperson, uh, the, the more apt that scenario uh, you know, is going to play out. Um, you know, in reality, you know, salespeople, like any other employee, they will do what you inspect, not what you expect. And so this is where, you know, prior to coming in, we, we look for engagement and sponsorship from the management team and the leadership team because we can only, only impact, we can't dictate to them. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, order them to do it. We can entice them to do it by having success. But, uh, you know, we, we do need to have the truth, the, the sponsorship from the leadership team in order to say, hey, guys, here's what we're doing and here's why it's important. Uh, and then there has to be some level of accountability on an ongoing basis. So if, if we say, hey, we're going to do it, but then we never – and somebody doesn't do it and they're not held to account on it, then they're just not going to do it. It's, it's no different than any other, you know, any other process. Mike, on a on a different note, uh, are, do you uh, sell your product and concept on a nationwide level, or are you regional? Uh, we actually sell around the world. We've uh, we've worked with companies on six continents, thirteen different languages, over twenty thousand salespeople. There's two parts to our business, Lou. Uh, one is where we have our what we call our staccato methodology and technology, where we license it and train on that. Uh, to enable right. sales teams um, for uh, those clients uh, that sell a, 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 and a, and those are clients who sell anything, you know, you know, no matter what sort of vertical or price point or whatever for those right. clients that sell a high value, 
you know, longer complex sales process. We have an additional offering where we have we actually have a team of folks in in our headquarters in Alpharetta, Georgia, who are steeped in the staccato methodology and technology, and they are a business development team for hire. Uh, by all so, means, uh, give our audience your uh, uh, website, and if you want to give your email address, uh, you can do so uh, at this time. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But best way to get in touch with me or Frontline is you, you know, you'll learn more about Frontline at, at our website, www.frontlineselling.com. Uh, you can email me at Mike, uh, mshare, M-S-C-H-E-R, at frontlineselling.com, or feel free to connect uh, with me on LinkedIn. You can just find Mike Share at Frontline, Frontline Selling. You can, you can find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect there. Mike, this was uh, great. I, I hope that uh, some of our listeners uh, who I know are having these kinds of problems, I, I've been talking to people for, you know, half a century, decades, and they they have these issues, they have these problems, and uh, they don't necessarily know how to fix it, change it, alter it, what have you. So uh, I suggest to the audience, you, you have uh, Mike's information and, uh, you know, reach out to him. I'm sure the first phone call is a consult, free consultation. Uh, I don't know if I'm putting <laughs> yes, your foot in my yes, mouth, but uh, uh, <laughs> no, was, that's uh, fine. No, you're 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 100 correct, Lou. All right, so you're you're. It was a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, Tim. Well, we've been speaking with Mike Shear. Now it's pronounced Shear, but it's spelled S C H E R. If you're looking for him on LinkedIn, Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Right out. Bye-bye now. So that was a pretty exciting uh, conversation that we had with Mike Toma from uh, Travelers Insurance talking about uh, the top five ways manufacturers can limit their exposure, particularly in 3D manufacturing, to limit their liabilities. Uh, Mike Shearer. Uh, explains uh, frontline selling and how the manufacturers who are the old-fashioned type manufacturers who have the uh, sales reps out on the road might find a new way to be selling products by using high-tech and uh, Internet and so on. Uh, Listen to him. He's available to be spoken to. And uh, I think that you'll find it uh, most encouraging for you to buy into this. Next week's show, we have our global show, uh, international correspondent Chong Wang reporting from uh, China, reporting on Asia. Royce Lowe reporting from the EU, who's reporting from France. And Chad Moutre and Norbert Orr reporting on the U.S., and uh, Norbert Orr does quite a conversation on 18 countries around the world. And I might add, based on the research that we've done, that it seems as though, aside from Brazil, every country in the world right now, every industrial country in the world, is experiencing uh, growth and uh, some exciting stuff going on. So we're 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 very thrilled about what's going on, and we're happy to report on it uh, to our audience. Uh, Tim, back to you. 
Thanks, Lou, and that's a wrap for today's show on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Please go to mfgtalkradio.com if you would like to hear this show or any of our shows, which are in our previous show's podcast library. We've got some interesting announcements coming up in the next week or two, so stay tuned. There's going to be some expansion at Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're very excited about it. Can't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but stay tuned, and you'll enjoy Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.